Hello, 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 and welcome to the 52-week film project. Now, Will, try and help me out here, man. Are we episode 12 or episode 13? That's Either a very way, it's good blowing question. my mind. That's a very, very good question. I think we're episode 13, um, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. This is this. It feels how, like a long time since we've recorded. How incredibly disorganised are we <laughs> that we just had we just had about 20 minutes of preamble and neither of us thought to think before introducing it, wait, where are we? It's just, yeah. oh, the, fa- the fame's gone to our heads, mate. All, we don't know what this, to do. all, the, all this time spent in production meetings and etc. We had a really whole, good chat, the, nothing. The, t- Absolutely the, nothing. Team, the team of 50 people we have behind us, like <laughs> men, women and children slave for this podcast and neither of us stopped to think about it. Exactly. But anyway, how are you, how are you doing on yeah, this Yeah, I'm not doing too bad, mate. I'm not doing too week, bad. Mate. Um, are you excited for this very, very special episode? I am, mate. I really like the fact that we were kind of, we didn't really have anything this special in the pipeline and then it kind of just landed in our laps. Um, I can't remember what we said at the end of the Meg episode. I think we probably said we were going to review Black Klansman as our next film. Yes, I think that was right. Um, I think, yeah, that's probably where we left it off with our with our avid listeners. Um, and do not worry, we, we have, still record an episode of we, Black Klansman. We, yeah. We we'll, still absolutely end. We, we intend to do that. We're in talks about maybe doing a couple of episodes next week. Maybe doing a double bill um, because me and Will have got a bit more time on our hands now. We've got slightly less hectic schedules. Dare indeed, I say it? Indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, dare, dare so, we say it? Twenty one and twenty one, twenty two year olds. Indeed. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Black Clansman review on the way. But in the meantime. Um, we went to a screen unseen yesterday evening. Now, for people who don't know what that is, it's a cool thing that Odeon cinemas do here in the UK, which I think is probably one of the saving graces of cinema at the moment, where they give you the opportunity to see a movie normally a couple of weeks before it's released in UK theatres. It's usually a high-reviewed film, so it tends to be something that either... Critics have already given opinion about before release or it has been released in the States already. Um, but you don't know what it's going to be before you arrive. Uh, you pay you pay less for a ticket unless you're like me and Will and you watch so many fucking films for this Only podcast that you have, a, you have a limitless membership. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, but, it, but they give you clues. Like they're, they're very, very devious with their clues. Like I don't think people, like no one can kind of agree even after three or four clues in the run-up to these these viewings, no one can agree like with without hesitation what the film's going to be. Which which there is really good for as well because it means that there is a genuine sense of expectation. You can't guess the film it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, there are people on Reddit that really go for it, and they have all their different theories, and it's kind of a whole little community. Um, and they managed to single this one down to a few films. They singled it down to a new American rom-com called Crazy Rich Asians, which is getting good reviews, but me and Will were both kind of hoping it wouldn't be because neither of us were really in the mood for another film of Aquafina. <laughs> but also, if you pay for an Odeon Unseen, you kind of want, I kind of want a film that's got a lot of substance and depth to it, not a romantic yeah. comedy. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, um, and then so what were the other ones? There was there's a film called Eighth Grade coming out soon, which is apparently incredible. That was another theory. Um, a theory was Bohemian Rhapsody, but that's a bit ridiculous because it's been out for another <laughs> two months. Yeah, I was going to say that is um, impressive. 
It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some some people thought it was going to be this new film, Searching, which is a film that I kind of want to review at some point in the next week or two. Will the one that's really well reviewed about the guy who's searching for his miss, missing daughter, and it's got all the whole social media aspect to it, and he's like on oh, Skype yeah. the whole film. Um, for for what sounds like such a tacky premise, apparently it's really really gripping. It's a really amazing film. Um, but then people pointed out that that's bordering on a horror film, and they don't tend to be horror films in these viewings. Um, and the one that it ended up being was American Animals. Very exciting is, film. <laughs> yeah, something that me and you were both kind of aware of, but it wasn't really on our radar. It kind of snuck when, up on us, yeah. Yeah, we didn't really know when it was going to be released in the States, but we both sort of remembered watching the trailer a while back and thinking this looks really cool. Um, it's about the transy book heist. Um, a bunch of American university students who decided to try and steal some incredibly rare books from their university library and obviously botched it uh, and the fallout of that. Um, and yeah, mate, it was, it was it was an absolutely fantastic film. There was something so thrilling about going to a cinema and having absolutely no idea what it was going to be until literally the opening credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely need to try and do more of these. And it's not due out in UK theatres for a couple of weeks. So we're going to hit you with a relatively spoiler-free review of what was probably the surprise highlight of the 52-week film project so far. I think so. I think there were some films that we have overhyped and then were let down by. There are some and, and there are some there are some films that snuck up on us. But I and think are, we I think the you never were you were never really here is is a highlight of is a highlight for us in this definitely. podcast. Um, definitely it's probably think, the best film we've yeah, watched yeah definitely but because this was just I did not expect to see this coming this has just got this is for me such a highlight yeah and it yeah, was brilliant definitely. but before that uh, should we get into our weekly news roundup the news <laughs> that oh, was mate, that's over getting the top. worse it's getting worse <laughs> yeah I'm sorry no, that has- went way too over the top it has actually been a couple of weeks since we've done the news because people may, I can't remember if we brought it up in the podcast or not, but the Meg was actually, the Meg episode was actually recorded a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Um, so we tried our best. So to do the news, news was quite news out. That, yeah. It was quite outdated, but we tried to pick, th- I can't remember what we spoke about. Do you? We talked to, we talked in de- depth about the Oscars and I think that's a really important conversation. Oh yes, we have. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the new category. And yeah, and yeah, I think, of course. yeah, yeah. I think that was a good one. Well, I think we've got, I don't know about you, we've got one bit of kind of important culture. On my end, I've got one sort of bit of cultural important news and then just two other kind of interesting tidbits. Um, what have you got? What's uh, your first so my, story? So my first news story is that in 2016, after Batman versus Superman, Hans Zimmer said this was going to be his final superhero movie. That was it. Um, in January of this year... He said that with his last Call of Duty game, mate. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, so he said this. But then January this year, he said that he's going to do this, the storyline for Dark Phoenix. Uh, the score, sorry, for the Dark Phoenix. And it just released this week. He is now going to do the new Wonder Woman film, Wonder Woman 1984. So... A two- so sure, no, but, yeah, but, but that film's in post-production now, so surely he's already done the score. Has it has it been announced that he's going to do it, or has it been announced that he's done it and that's? It might it be announced that he's done it and done it, yeah. and the film has been done and it's he's been he's been in the process, but maybe it's not been revealed because um, yeah. it is new news that he has he is involved in the Wonder Woman project. Um, but yeah, this is a guy who two years ago said he was never going to do a superhero film, but has also launched so like his his main leap in his career. I suppose Gladiator and Pirates are a big. 
big things. But the Dark Knight and it, Christopher, the Christopher Nolan stuff kind of um, made him into the icon that he is today. Um, but I suppose recent, recently he's become, I think with um, Hans Zimmer, he kind of has become a parody of himself in a way. Yeah. Like his scores are fantastic, but you know what a Hans Zimmer score is now going to be. And so he has. I also think, I, I, I personally think, I don't know a lot about classical composition, but I think it's a bit stagnant. And I also, every single fucking project I hear, it's Hans Zimmer's done it, Hans Zimmer's done it, Hans Zimmer's done it. Like, bloody hell, give some other young composers a chance, man. Well, yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, so that's a bit. Of, that's a fun bit of news. Uh, what was your first piece of news, Jake? Uh, my first bit is an update on the Todd Phillips Joker film. Obviously, uh, this is the this is the standalone Joker origin film that recently announced on. I was about to say on the podcast. No, we mentioned it. We mentioned <laughs> it on the podcast. We're not, we're not privileged enough to be uh, the TMZ of the podcast no, news world yet. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> we're trying. <laughs> we're getting there. We're yeah. getting there. Instagram account um, is lit. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, no, the new Todd Phillips Joker film where we know that Joaquin Phoenix has been announced in the starring role. Um, it's been announced that Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's father, is going to be in the film in some capacity. Um, it was originally discussed that Viggo Mortensen might play him, which would have been very cool. That would have been uh, very cool. Viggo of The Road and Captain Fantastic and all those great uh, well, just top-notch movies. Lord the um, But instead, they've kind of taken a bit of a U-turn and they've announced that Alec Baldwin is going to play Thomas Wayne. Now, I... Like, apparently the cameras start rolling on September 10th, which means that we're going to see this film probably mid-next year. Um, I am so excited for this. I loved all that news that came out about how they're going to be doing a real character portrayal, stripping it back to a deliberately low budget. And I, yeah, I know that Alec Baldwin can act and he can act well, but I just see him so much as that Donald Trump Saturday Night Live thing at the moment that I ref- I can't take this news seriously. No, and I agree. I don't, I don't trust it. I don't, it, it, it's, it kind of feels like a step in the wrong direction for me. But then having said that, I don't know what they've discussed with him. I don't know how big a role he's going to play. I don't know if he's going to go uber gritty or whether he's going to be slightly comic. I just hope that this isn't the start of a series of kind of announcements about this film that make it seem as if it's becoming a bit, a bit tacky. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, yeah, I suppose the last film that we saw him in was Mission Impossible Fallout. And that has kind of been his career for the last two, three years, as he's he's been bit parts in big franchise movies he's as kind a sort of, of a comedic role. He's kind of becoming the white Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, he is becoming. Like a, a, a revered actor who's just taking shit job after shit job, like paycheck after paycheck after paycheck, and kind of vibing off internet stardom through his viral videos. Because let's face it, let's face, let's face it. Who in the UK actually sits down and watch a, watches a whole episode of Saturday Night Live? Fucking no one. Like the you majority, the, the, the majority of the planet watch clips of Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, The Late Late Show, and Saturday Night Live. No one watches a whole episode. So he's almost become an internet celebrity. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't trust that in my ultra perfect, ultra gritty Joker film. Yeah. Oh, do you think Viggo Mortensen would have been a good Thomas Wayne? And do you think he left the project because he was worried it was going in a problematic direction? 
I think he would have been excellent. I think he probably would have done a better job as maybe the uh, abusive father of the Joker, but then I don't know where that heritage lies. Mm-hmm. Um, Viggo Mortensen wouldn't be my natural pick for Thomas Wayne. I think Alec Baldwin, to be fair, for me embodies the character a bit more. I just think if you start employing these kinds of actors, I'm concerned about the direction it's taking. Mm-hmm. And I think because we don't- because let's because Joaquin Phoenix is not beyond doing films that have a big budget, and he really tries in, but end up being a bit shit. AKA that Mary Magdalene film that came out last year where he played Jesus. Who watched that? No one. I didn't Does watch it, it. Like, is it is it anywhere? No. Because it, it tanked. And he did a great job. Shit film. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah. So um that I literally that truth about um, White Samuel L. Jackson has blown my mind a bit. So I'm still yeah, reeling from it. Actually, I'm actually kind of like, quite impressed with that. That character. was that was real truth. <laughs> that was such a scoop. But it is, isn't it? It, it so is. Yeah, it's you're right. Like, you're so right. He's doing he's doing what Nicolas Cage did circa 2007. Yes. Yeah. And I like, think I think Alec Baldwin is um, is now becoming kind of a meme of himself. And I think he's only got three years left of that unless he reinvents. This could be a reinvention film though. It it could be, he could do a Steve Carell, but I, I also think that he's just a massive prick. I just, from everything I've seen, I think he's so obnoxious and so arrogant and I can't stand him. Mm. So maybe I'm biased in that regard. I don't know. I definitely am biased in that regard. Cause I remember when we, when we were watching that comedians in cars, getting coffee, that thing with, with Seinfeld going to have coffee with all his favorite, like favorite comedian friends, the Alec Baldwin episode, he is just a douchebag. Yeah. And he's not a douchebag to be funny. He is just a douchebag. Yeah, he he, same, he does same way I think about Stephen Fry. It's a it's, yeah. a it's a character trait of his. Why do yeah. for it? Yeah, yeah, he's just bullish. He's bullish. He's bullish. Um, he's a white Samuel L. Jackson, and he's bullish. He's a white bullish Samuel L. Jackson. In other words, <laughs> in other words, he's John Travolta. <laughs> hey, that was quite, that was very um, good. Uh, Gone right. and hit me with your best news, did it? Come so, on, and hit um, me with your is, best uh, news. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> So my second piece of news is that Quentin Tarantino, uh, he's got his, is it his final film coming up? Is his swan song? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Oh, is it debated I don't know it, that it's his final film? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it, it may be, but he's only like 40 or 50, isn't he? He's not well, that old. I think he's been saying for years that he wants to retire. And I think that he has said that he want, that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is going to be his last film. But knowing Tarantino- I believe it when I see it. Exactly. Um, so he has cast Damon Herriman as Charles Manson in his upcoming movie. So the upcoming movie is essentially following uh, Charles Man- the Charles Manson's murders, but particularly his time um, in sort of the L- LA music scene, um, sort of w- with the kind of, yeah, like the, the Beach Boys era kind of songs and where that comes from. I think that's the idea of the film. Um, that's So I found this out and then... I looked at Damon Herriman because I have you ever heard of Damon Herriman? No, I haven't. Where no. would I know him from? He has done one film before. Um, the film is called. Oh, hang on, here we. I'm, I'm just getting, getting it up. It's a hundred holes apart. I think. What is that? I know. So this. Is, so I've just got the the blurb for you. It's a comedy slash horror. Reg and Lindsay run an organic fertilizer business. 
They need. Do you mean Reg? Reg, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Reg. Reg and Lindsay. Reg and Lindsay. Reg and Lindsay. <laughs> Uh, I like that. Um, they need a fresh supply of their secret ingredient to process through the meat grinder. Reg comes across two guys and a girl with a broken down vehicle on their way to a music festival. That is the previous film that the guy playing Charles Manson has been in. It, 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 Jesus it's, Christ. It's fascinating. Have you watched that show Dark Tourist on Netflix? Because they do a thing where they go and meet a, like a Manson murder fanatic oh. and he's got all this memorabilia. Oh, Jesus. It's... um. It's bloody creepy. I, what were the, I, name, what were the think, name of the victims? Was it the Tate family? Is that what they were called? I think so, yes. Yeah. I've seen, the thing is, as a, I think as a UK person who lives in the UK, I don't quite understand the cultural impact of the Charles Manson murders, which um, I know as, as much as American. we Jack the Ripper, mate, haven't we? Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so your second piece of news, mate. Second piece of news comes from, uh, well, the Rick and Morty team, actually, mate. Ah. So there is, well, I mean, recently they've kind of obviously they've done this big announcement that Adult Swim have ordered like 70 more episodes of Rick and Morty and everyone was like losing their shit over it. Like some real like super fans that we, me and your friends were like, oh my God, this is the best news ever. And I, I just remember sitting there thinking, yeah, but it's still going to take them three fucking years to make 10 episodes at a time. Indeed. Like, just because they've announced they're going to like have 70 episodes doesn't mean they're coming anytime soon. Um, but anyway, sassiness over. Um, Justin Roiland, who is part of the creative duo that is Roiland and Dan Harmon, um, he's the one that does all the voices. Um, he is pairing up with another producer of Rick and Morty, a guy called Mike Mc Mike McMahon, who is a writer and producer on Rick and Morty. Not related and to Vince McMahon, the leader of WWE. I don't think so. <laughs> no, um, I don't think so. All of his children. Anyway, 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 point being, the two of them without Dan Harmon, I don't think there's any beef there. I think they're just doing it, um, have announced a new series called Solar Opposites, which is about, um, well, the description says, Solar Opposites, an adult animated series about aliens from a better world who must take refuge in middle America. Um, Hulu have ordered two seasons of the show and say it will debut in 2020. Oh, wow. Um, it's going to be very, very similar in tone to Rick and Morty by the looks of it. I've seen some original sketches, and it's the same kind of artwork. Um, Mike McMahon, no one really seems to know who he is, and he put out a really funny tweet, um, because loads of people have been essentially mistaking it for a Justin Roiland, the Dan Harmon project. Um, so Deadline, Hollywood Deadline put out a tweet saying alien animated comedy from the Rick and Morty duo gets a series order. Da, da, da. And then he, Mike, Mike McMahon retweeted it and said, guys, this is not about the Rick and Morty duo. It's a new duo. Who, who knows how many duos are hiding at the Rick and Morty base? Anyway, I have a show now. Woo. Like, like, I, I kind of feel, kind of feel for him because anyone, there must be so many people that come up with so much content for Rick and Morty and it's all kind of like it, Royland and Harmon are kind of the two that get applauded for it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's the case with every TV show realistically, but like there must be people that fucking slave away on Rick and Morty to make it as excellent as it is who just don't get the credit. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this guy probably is one of them. So hopefully this will give him a chance to kind of show off his, show off his ability. Does this mean though, that we are now that Rick and Morty season four is going to be delayed by another five to six years. 
because well, no, they've see, got another see, series I, being done. Well, see, I have a theory that Justin Roiland is the one out of the pair of him and Harmon who can work to a schedule and is normal and isn't manic and a nightmare to work with on set, as you hear from Dan Harmon with Community and with Rick and Morty. Uh, he sounds like a real dragon with a lot of issues. So I think that the difficulties come from Dan Harmon being a like a obsessive compulsive perfectionist. Um, and Royland's probably the one that can keep things on track. Mm. So I reckon that this won't actually delay Rick and Morty. And if anything, um, it might give Dan Harmon the pressure. I don't know whether it will kind of like motivate him to try and assert the dominance of Rick and Morty a bit more and push him harder to get it out so that this doesn't take over from it. Um, but maybe it will kind of just get the creative juices flowing a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I think that could be the case. Because that's a big problem they have. When you when you have 12 episode series, you, you, you have to be whacking them out once a year or once every two years. You can't take this long to bring out a show that has maybe about six hours of runtime in a season. You yeah. Know? Imagine, imagine taking three years. Well, it's so complicated. I know animation is so difficult. And coming up with funny shit is so difficult. But three years for six hours of two D animated content is a bit ridiculous. Like, come on, they made Toy Story three in a smaller time frame than that. Well, think about the like, the many you know Simpsons I mean? of the the many seasons of the Simpsons. And like, and fa- Family Guy whack out a season every year. Exactly. Sure, it's not the best, but they do eighteen episode seasons every year. Like, yeah, exactly. Anyway. Even if you want to take your time over it, you don't need to go to those extremes by any means. Rick and Morty ran over, <laughs> ranty over. Right. What's your uh, fi- final bit of news, mate? Final bit of news. Um, so this is exciting. Um, I don't know if other people have seen this, but Matt Ooh, Smith. Joy. I know, right? Matt Smith has been cast as in an important role in Episode Nine of Star Wars. Um, speculation is still out to see who's pl- he's playing. We don't know. Do you think he's point. playing Luke Skywalker? No, he's not playing. I or Princess think Leia. I have a theory. So, in the Star Wars novels, um, there is a, and also comics and general lore around it. Now, now, is this your theory or is this the internet's theory that you're now claiming as your own? This, this is my own theory. I think the internet probably have made this theory before me, but I haven't checked yet. Um, yeah, so the internet probably knows this, has probably said this before me with more authority. Um, but my p- pedestrian authority, authoritarian is going <laughs> to... Pedestrian authority. Yeah, that, that uh, yes, I'm a man of the people. Um, anyway, oh, I've got the giggles. Um, <laughs> get on with it, get on with it. Oh, I can't stop. Um, Roll the clip. No, keep on going, keep on going. Um, no, so... Um, I think that he is going to be a character called Thrawn. Thrawn is a character that is um, about 30, 40, comes 30, 40 years after the Battle of Yavin, which is the end of episode six. And he is a brutal leader who brings the Empire back to its um, full strength. And he's been sort of immortalised in the sort of Star Wars fandom. Um, There has been recently, I think Rebels has started has put him in a season, so there could be okay. a crossover, or it's rumoured that he might be in the Rebels um, Rebels season. Uh, I think season three is coming up. Not sure. Um, but yeah, I think that could be quite an exciting thing. I love Matt Smith from Doctor Who. He's great. The and crown, the character's called Thrawn. Hmm? And the character's called Thrawn. Thrawn. T 
T-H-R-A-W-N. Hmm, interesting. Well, I suppose he's got to fill his schedule with something now that he's not Prince Philip anymore. Well, exactly. I, what he, recently he did an interview saying, I really, I would love to come back to Doctor Who. And I was like, well, I bet you would. I bet you would. <laughs> yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of which, do we know when the first episode of Doctor Who was out with Jodie Whittaker? I don't it know. Soon? I think, well, normally the series starts Surely in September, like... October. Um, and then they... Uh, it's difficult with, with Doctor Who seasons. They used to they used to be sort of the summer period, but then it, everything's changed. And also with the new showrunner, I think we still don't know. I'm not I'm not certain, but that might have been released. Hang on, let me Google. Hold on, I'm having a look. Um, uh, it doesn't say. I think it. I think it's still. Is being it teased. season eleven? Yeah, it's season eleven. Yeah. Uh, it's set to premiere by October 2018 and will consist of only 10 episodes. 10 episodes? Mm. That's not a lot. No, that is not a lot. Doctor Who normally go 12 to 14. Yeah. That is poor. Uh, right, anyway, my final bit of news. Uh, this is this is one for the cultural people out there, those, those who love a bit of diversity in the film world. Shall I leave the room um, or...? So, it's a big... big <laughs> should you leave the room? Um... <laughs> Big bit of news, considering we kind of pseudo-take the piss out of Rotten Tomatoes and their critic system on this podcast by picking the best description, the most savage quote, and all this kind of stuff. Because essentially, Rotten Tomatoes is not a very good aggregate system. Um, It's full of reviewers that all kind of review in kind of... one of two spectrums. They're either all for a film or they're all against it. Um, and then the films that land somewhere in the middle tend to be downvoted more than maybe they deserve to be. Um, so that's why it comes as kind of refreshing news to hear that they're changing what they look for in movie critics on the platform. So what it says here in this article is, Rotten Tomatoes has overhauled its criteria for which critics and outlets get to contribute to its tomato meter scores opening the platform up to more voices and points of view. The company said that when it got started, it largely included critics from major publications and broadcasters with a large audience reach, which fit with the media landscape at the time. In the intervening decades, a lot has changed, said the company, noting that staff positions at major outlets have dwindled and many critics are producing good work elsewhere through smaller online outlets such as podcasts and YouTube. In revamping our critic criteria, we sought to bring the criteria into better alignment with the way media works today to promote the inclusion of more voices that reflect the varied groups of people who consume entertainment and to maintain the high standards we've always set for inclusion in the group of Tomato Meter approved critics. Its, news cri- its new criteria focus on insight, audience, quality and dedication and its updated eligibility guidelines include stipulations for self-published writers, freelancers, vloggers, and podcasters. Oh, wow. Rotten Rotten Tomatoes adds that while a large audience reach is still a requirement in most cases to to get on the aggregate system, those with smaller audiences that serve underrepresented groups will be considered as well. The company's lack of diversity, the company's lack of diversity when it comes to its pool of critics was pointed out by researchers earlier this year. Rotten Tomatoes says that it has already approved 200 additional critics under these new standards, 
and we'll add hundreds more throughout the year. Do so, we have a chance to be on Rotten Tomatoes? W- the 52-week film project might get on to Rotten Tomatoes. No, but then we can't. that can't happen because then when we come to our Rotten Tomatoes reviews, imagine if we just we're, had... We're, sl- we're biting the hand that feeds. Yeah, Will Paxton and Jake Leonard from the 52-week film project say, this is our quote. <laughs> Dearie me, what are the quotes going to be? Oh, can't stand them. They're the white Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, we, oh. yeah. Um, I yeah, I think that's very good. I think it's a good thing that that's um, represented on Rotten Tomatoes because sometimes I think you 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 go down Rotten Tomatoes sometimes and you see magazines that I don't think I've heard of that have got a good readership and they're not the best critics. They're not they yeah. don't know what they're talking about rather than a, pe- a professor of film who does a pod- weekly podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. I think that um, it would be good to include smaller platforms especially ones that kind of you know they have a really great voice but it's not necessarily heard um and it will make larger reviewers think twice about the way they review films hopefully it will level the playing field a bit indeed um but yeah that with that that's the end of the news roundup mate we've managed to get it down to under half an hour this week which we've got, well, that's uh, good. only by only by a minute only by a minute <laughs> um, oh good that's fine I um, we have a lot to talk about it's very very important stuff we do, we do. Um, but now on to the uh, screen unseen, the film of the week, American Animals. So before we jump right into it, do you know anything about the director? Because right before we started recording, I had a little Google and I realised probably why I like this film so much. Please continue. Do you know who- I don't know who the director is. I, 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 in my notes, I was looking through it just about as we were about to record and I was like, oh my God, I forgot, who, forgot to look up the director. Um, so, so please tell me all. This is exciting. Yeah, man. So, so the director is Bart Layton, um, who is a relatively young director. And one of the only things that he's done that's been quite big, he actually won a BAFTA for, he won a few other awards for. Uh, it's a film that came out in 2012 called The Imposter. Uh, do you know about that film? I've heard a lot of good things about that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so it's been imp- recommended to me on lots of like film lists. Yeah, so The Imposter is a documentary-style true crime film by Bart Layton about the the real story of a boy, a a teenager who went missing from Texas for years and was kind of essentially returned home to his family. And it was a beautiful story. And then the family started to suspect that something wasn't quite right and they started to they started to believe that the the boy that had come back to them wasn't actually their son that they'd lost years ago. Um, and the film is just oh, it's so interesting. It's so cool in the way it kind of it, it discusses it in kind of interview form of all the people involved, but that also kind of uh, recreates things in this really beautifully shot way uh, that's not kind of over-dramatising it, but just making it really kind of vivid. And without really, you know, it's a great film. I don't want to give it away that the essentially the, the, the crux of it is it wasn't their son that returned to them. It was a French man called Frederick Bodain, who is a serial imposter. And he has the nickname the Chameleon. And he has assumed about 500 identities in his life. Oh uh, my three of gosh. which, yeah, three of which are, are actual missing people. 
Um, and so the film kind of revolves around that and then kind of like sussing it out and then Interpol getting involved. And yeah, it's a really, really good film. Like, it, it, and it, it weaves this really impressive narrative that kind of makes you feel sorry for him, but then also makes you feel really disturbed and makes you kind of half really, really empathise with the family because it's such an easy mistake to make. But then also thinking, how could you be so fucking stupid? Like... You should know your child and you should know that. And, and they kind of, they go along with it for so long before realising, right, this isn't right. We need to do something about it. And you think, God, like you were duped for that long. It, oh, it's a mental film. But anyway, that only served to re-emphasise to me why I enjoyed American Animals so much. Because American Animals, this film that will be coming out in the UK in a couple of weeks' time, is also a true story. It's also a true tri- true crime story. And it uses the real-life culprits to narrate the film. It's a very brave decision on their part. I think... I think Very brave. And I think also, what was so great about this film for me is that it's how they... Um, how they jeweled the real-life documentary with the actual drama. It's sort of... It, the, the way that it sort of goes in between the two is really is I say this word a lot saying it's really cinematic, but it just it it's the way they edited together was um blistering. It's so quick. It's not like any documentary yeah. documentary um filmmaking I've ever seen. It's all so stylized. It's fascinating. And and sometimes it'll be like the one of the actors playing the four boys involved in this botched book heist. Um one of them will be saying something and then mid-sentence, it will cut to the real-life adult version of them who sat down for an interview about the events that transpired, and it's him finishing the same fucking sentence. Mm. And I, I know that doesn't sound that impressive, but when you watch it, and when you see like the lines that they use to mould the real-life version and the actor version of these characters, of these real people, sorry, it, it really serves the whole way through I was just thinking, God, they cast these people, these guys really well. Like the actors are perfect I know. for the real people they're portraying. And the whole way through, it's just asserting that. It's it's reconfirming that because you're watching them right against the real versions of the people they're portraying and thinking, fuck, it's uncanny. Like it is. Th- 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 these young actors one of which is Evan Peters, who's of American Horror Story fame, and he's fucking brilliant. He's like a young Johnny Depp in the making. He's crazy, he's stressful, he's emotive, he's engrossing. That scene he's in pro- X-Men Days of Future Past is, yeah, is still played, iconic. Of course, because he plays Quicksilver, doesn't yeah, it, he? Yeah. Like he, um, he, he's, he's doing really well for himself. I think he's one of the best young actors in Hollywood. Um, I need to see him do some kind of... Uh, Jack Kerouac beat generation style film, you know, like an on the road style thing. Cause yeah. I think he will, he will get an Oscar for it. He will just absolutely nail it. Um, but he is just phenomenal as kind of like the leader of the gang. Who's the most ragtag out of all of them, a little bit kind of rough around the edges, but also kind of like real cheeky kind of mama's boy. And you watch him in the film and then you watch the real-life version of this guy. I think, what's he called? He's called... Um, it's Warren, Warren Lipka. Warren Lipka. And, and, and the real-life Warren Lipka, who's like 32, he's out of prison now, but was in there for over seven years for this botched 
bank heist, uh, this botched book heist, he still has that kind of like that cheekiness. Do you know what I mean? That mm. flirtatious smile, that kind of like sort of in love with the danger kind of look about him. And he captures it perfectly. Yeah, it is. It is uncanny. And I, th- I think Evan Peters is great. I also think that um, the person who plays the librarian um, in, who in the process of these books getting stolen, she she is in the fray. I think don't she's essentially much. yeah. She no no no. no. If we, we're going spoiler free, that's 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 true. There's a, a lot of people that will go and watch this film might be aware of the book heist already. Yes, but essentially, this film does a really good job of showing you that these boys are incredibly humoured, that they didn't want to cause any violence. They were just caught up in the hedonistic concept of look at this money that we could make kind of thing. Mm. And they were very adamant that they didn't want any harm to come to anyone. And for that reason, the film, in both the real-life narration and also the actual film itself, it obsessively uh, focuses on uh, the one obstacle in their way being this librarian who they have to incapacitate and kind of the build-up to that. And it's so anxious and it's so stressful and you... You, you you feel like these oh it's oh it's so intense it's so man. intense it's and so it, intense and I think and it, at that moment the film kind of switches because you have so much sympathy for these guys it's kind of comic in the beginning you have you build up a real rapport and then yeah, it builds do. and it builds up to that scene and in that scene you see the see the shocking thing that happens and it's portrayed. Like it, it, like in the cinema, you just look, you look around, and everyone is, and people feel disgusted. The yeah. people were gasping and groaning next to us in the yeah, cinema. I, but that's what I found so fascinating is because you really are. You're this film. You're you're taking down a whole barrage of emotions. You're kind of at the beginning. You're swept up. You feel sorry for these guys who don't fit in at uni. Then you get swept up in this hedonistic concept of they could make all this money just for doing this seemingly um, uh, victimless crime. And then you you really like you almost when they're going to do it you you don't want them to fail you want them to do it and run off with the fortune and be happily ever after as kind of like seemingly harmless book robbers, but then you get to this one moment of violence in the film, and in an age where I mean fuck I watched two nights ago I watched Jigsaw, did right? you the the most the most recent Saw film that's lovely for a and, Monday and, Monday uh, evening yeah, yeah side note two out of ten fucking awful don't go and watch it like that's the from the 52 three... week film project that review means that things. is that is certified fucking <laughs> bollocks um you can have that rotten tomatoes stick that up your tomato meter don't say that <laughs> we need to get on the site <laughs> but anyway no point being I, I watched that film the other day and it is so, obviously it's so gratuitous and disgusting but it was so bad the whole way through, all the violence in it. it was so grotesque that you're completely desensitised to it. It's so unrealistic and it's it doesn't hold you at all. So like all these fucked up things were happening on the screen. I was thinking, yes, so what? Like you know, that's not how it would happen in real life. But this film, American Animals, there's this one bit, and it's it's still kind of a non-event. It's not violent really at all. But you watch it and you feel horrified. Mm. You hate it. You feel disgusted. And I remember sitting there thinking, I've watched some perverse things in films, man, but nothing has elicited this much like fear and sympathy and guilt in me in mm. a moment. And and it, 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 and it's something that can happen in any other film and just be like something that you don't, you completely gloss over. Yeah. And the film tricks done. you into this sort of sense of security that everything's going to be fine. 
and then it just isn't and it's gut-wrenching. And then the last 30, 40 minutes of the film, you just feel an agony for these guys, but also feel agony of what they've done. You see the consequences and it's hard and they, to... And they, and they, they talk about the consequences as well, the real versions. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're, they're good boys. Like, they're good blokes. They're not... Um, they're not bad people and they've, you know, they've paid tenfold for their stupid mistake. Oh yeah. But you know, without, without going into the details, obviously, because you don't want to ruin the film, but I feel like most people going into it, especially if you've watched the trailer, because again, it's a great trailer, but it's another example of showing you fucking everything that happens in a film. Like you, you know, you know, right from the outset, even we who didn't know what the film was going to be before it turned on in the screen, you knew from the outset, this was not going to be successful. And one of the bits, like one of the kind of real life narrations, I don't see, I don't know if this was deliberately done or not, because I know that they're all out of prison now. But when they interview one of the characters, he's kind of sat on a stool in what looks like a prison room. And, you know, the Warren character will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of sat. In, and, and so for, I don't know if it is actually a prison room or not, but for me personally, I looked at that. And I thought, ah, right, well, that's an instantaneous red flag that they're not actually going to achieve this kind of thing. Like, why would they make it? Why would they be making a film about it with real life narration if they were successful in their exactly. book heist? Yeah, you know, because the, if they were the real, the real book fucking heist, people wouldn't be, be there to millions. talk about it, would they? Yeah, but um, oh, just so intense, man! Such mm. a good film. Such such a good film. I'd really recommend it. And what? And interestingly. We've already reviewed Anne Dowd before on this podcast, the person who plays the librarian, and she, because Have she we? was in Hereditary. Does she play the, the friend? Yeah, of she the plays mom? the friend who, who turns of out course. to be evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, and, no it's, and, yeah and, and, and you get so, you, she evokes so much sympathy in this film, and yet the last two things that of note that she's been in is Hereditary as, as a seemingly good, but turn, turns out to be evil person, and and I think she won an Emmy for this, The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah. Got it. I still haven't watched The Handmaid's Tale, man. Everyone tells me to go and watch it. You know when you get you get like so many people telling you to watch something that you tune out and you actually actively don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. That's 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 the wave I'm on with Handmaid's Tale. I have no doubt that it's fucking brilliant. But the same thing happened for me with Breaking Bad. Everyone was like, "You need to watch it. You need to watch it. You need to watch it." And I got so tuned out that I just didn't like I haven't watched Mr. Robot season three no. because our two housemates John and Matt they absolutely love it but they would not shut up about it <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, so I got so sick of hearing about it second hand that I just really didn't want to watch it yeah um, but uh, no I mean yeah no I can't I can't emphasize it enough I think this I think so, right should we try and be critical of this film for a minute and see if we actually come up with anything because I was thinking this I'm really enjoying it. It's stuck in my head all day. It's a really captivating film, but there are problems. Mm. So I I think that some of the supporting cast are a bit average. Yeah, I, I think, think the two I, I think, I think the two supporting there are four boys in it, two main ones and then two supporting ones. I think the two supporting guys are a bit weak. I don't think they're very impressive. I know they're not meant to be as important in the story. But I don't necessarily think that matters. I just didn't find them as appealing as the other two. I found I didn't find them charismatic. I kind of found found them as sort of function characters. Yeah, in a, in a in a in a story about two main characters. Yeah, but that's, that's the fault of the film. 
I, yeah. and I didn't I didn't care about what happened to them. I didn't care about the stakes for them. I only cared about it for the other two. Maybe mm-hmm. only one of the other two. Um, I also think that some of the pacing was a little bit off. Yep, I think that, I like think... it's kind of pretty slow at the beginning, and then gets nail bitingly intense towards the end. And I know that's kind of the nature of a kid's sick and tired of what's going on, come up with an idea, idea process, actually doing the heist and then the fallout. I know, I know that's kind of maybe... The nature the victim, of... Do- especially the documentary vic- filmmaking yeah, as well. The, na- the, na- the nature of the story. Yeah. But I just think that maybe it could have impressed me a little bit sooner in a in a better in a, in a bigger way i think i was really wowed when things got going i think at the beginning i just thought okay this is interesting let's see where this goes yeah I, I, but then I, that's but that, but that's more than i get from most films so yeah well exactly i i i would i was wondering so a lot of i was reading through the rotten tomatoes criticism and the main criticism from the negative critics um, was that they felt the film didn't have a message. They felt it was confused. They felt like it was, was it going on the side of the boys or was it going on the side of the librarian? And they said that it, is a, it sort of came out as sort of meaningless fluff. I think it was one person described it as. That's not my most savage. So that that's fine. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, do, I, I personally don't think that's true, but I can see why people think it. I think it's more complicated than that and it's deliberately more complicated but I can see, no, that, I I can see I, that people going to this film think coming out of it say, say, saying, okay, so who am I in this story? Who am I supposed to be rooting for? I can understand. But I think the thing is the nature of the story meant that the real versions of the boys rather than the librarian got more screen time and more time to justify their actions, which means that you're probably naturally going to be, because nothing fatal really happened in the the, the story. Um, or nothing particularly grave, you're probably biased by the film towards empathising with the boys, especially as well when you know that they have taken the rap for it Mm. and they are getting back on camera. And Don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's a paycheck for each of them. But like they are getting back on camera and talking about it again and fessing up to it. And they do like, they go in on themselves in the bit with the fallout of everything that happened, they do, they like, they, they're not shy of, you know, owning up to their mistakes. No, I agree. I think that's what makes the, the second part of the film so moving is that they are completely sorry for their mistake. Um, yeah. I also think that it's quite hard to tell if, if you're wanting the, if, if let's say people compl- people are saying that, it's, that we shouldn't be sorry for the boys, or that the story shouldn't be told from their point of view. Imagine The Wolf of Wall Street, um, but from an FBI agent's point of view. It'd just be a bit of a boring story. Yeah, completely. And I think, um, you know, I there's also an argument for you don't need to be sorry one way or the other. Justice was served. The librarian didn't have any fatal consequences and the boys all went to prison. So like, if, if you're going to be that pernickety about it, just rather than like feel like you have to feel sorry for her and deliberately not feel sorry for them, just accept the fact that the rap's been taken and the, the, you know, the, the justice system works. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. And at this point, it's, it was such a long time ago that it is just a story. Yeah. And it's an interesting one at that. Exactly. But um, um, I I thought the really nice touch, you know, and, and again, I suppose this is maybe a, a mini spoiler, but I thought the really interesting touch was the fact that at the end it says that the same librarian still guards the same books in the library. Mm. Yeah, that, that is that really was, nice. That to hear. was fascinating. I wonder I wonder whether there are people like tourists who go just to meet the woman behind the story and the books behind it. Yeah. That must get so annoying though. Having to relive yeah. the one of the worst moments of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what are your uh, rotten your critic quote awards? What's your uh, best description from the old uh, Rotten Tomato critics? Before? So my best description comes from a man called Sean Munro from what interesting name for a magazine, a flickering myth. A flickering myth. Flickering Ooh, myth. Wow. Yeah. The new reviewers are starting to make their way onto the platform. Exactly. Um, and I think this is a really nice summary. Uh, it says an ingenious fusion of documentary and docudrama. American Animals fires a seemingly Conventional heist film through a prism of questionable truth, abetted by marvellous performances and tenacious style. Mm, okay. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, got, I think it's, a... it's got a lot of good words in that review. Yeah, it has. Is fires, he fires through a prism of question, questionable truth. A prism of questionable truth. <laughs> it makes you think, doesn't it? It does. It just... That is the, the waffle that I got for three years in my English degree. <laughs> yeah, bet, that's what I was. I, you, I love it. I love it. I was I, like, I bet you heard some the... absolute bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, it's it's mine, fabulous bollocks. Mine's not quite as uh, exotic as that. It's from Guy Lodge of Variety, which therein lies the reason why it's not as exotic. Yep, that makes sense. Um, no offense to Guy Lodge. Shout out Guy Lodge. Um, <laughs> The description is a riveting college boy crime caper that tiggers along, I don't think that's an adjective, on pure movie, movie adrenaline. Again, don't really understand why movie was written twice. Before you turning into a sobering reflection on young male privilege and entitlement through a prism of question... No, I'm kidding. It's not, it's not the end of it. <laughs> What what is what is what tiggering? That was the word. Tiggering, tiggering along pure movie movie adrenaline. Oh hello, tigger is a slang word. I've just looked it up. Hang on. For what? Tiggering. Ignore me. Ignore me. Tiggering sounds like no. Do you know know what what I just did? I did. I did read it properly. I I was looking at the word trigger. Oh. I was just about to type the word. That's all good. No, that, yeah, that's um, bad. T- tiggering, tiggering sounds like something filthy that would happen in a Winnie the Pooh book, doesn't it? Well, it would it would be something filthy that was happening with with Tigger. What would it What would it be? T- yeah, but what would it be if Tigger tiggered someone? Tiggering. <laughs> <laughs> tiggering. Oh, yeah, I, it sounds to... va- vaguely energetic as well. It, it sounds think, energetic and, ru- and think, fun. Hold on. Do you think if I go on Urban Dictionary, Tiggering is actually some filthy thing? Hold on, let's have a look. If you go on Urban Dictionary, we will our podcast is going to be rated E for explicit. E is for everyone, you idiot. Oh, good point. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, sorry. Um, Okay, so we have a couple of ideas here. No, we don't. We only have two. 
One is that's a couple. Oh no no no! no. So this this it's come up with three options. One is tingering. Do you know what tingering is, Will? No, I don't. Do tingering I want to know what tingering is, the, is? Tingering is the act of being pleasured by toes to the vagina. Oh. Tigering is cheating on your hot Swedish wife with media whores. No idea what that means. <laughs> and then, so and, then field. and then and then tiggering is constantly doing stuff, whether mentally or physically, in lots of different ways, all at the same time, bouncing around, apparently randomly, but in fact getting lots of things done, often at the expense of other things. Tiggering is very distracting and not a common trait, as it is physically and mentally exhausting. <laughs> so that kind of... Oh, that I feel like that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's the true fun, definition of tigger. fun. Yeah. yeah, I get that. I can get that from the, the start of the movie, especially. I think that that is energetic and fun. It does tigger along. It does yeah, tigger along. Um, go on, give me a most savage quote. My for, most savage uh, quote. American animals. Um, so this is from Sean. Gl- oh my god, Glynis. I will get it right one day. Sean Glynis Sean from the film Glynis. Inquiry. Um, Sean Glynis. <laughs> um, he says American Animals is like watching the project of the most technically talented film student, but who has absolutely nothing to say. See, that's like the opposite of you. You yeah. have a lot to say, but you're not technically talented. That's just so rude. You're just talented technically. I'm talented technically and talented <laughs> metaphorically, physically and spiritually. And you tigger along. Yeah. I just but you, you're not into You're not into tingering. I'm not into tingering, no. Important distinction. Thank you. Yes, um, I'm, I'm glad people so... know about, that about me now. <laughs> so, oh my God, this is this has gone <laughs> downfield. <laughs> we were doing Week so well. 13. It was so highbrow and then it just got lower and lower. We were doing well. We're going to get to like, week 14. It's going to be like, hi, this is Will and welcome to the 52-week film project. Jake, how are you? And there's going to be no response. Yeah, it'll just be giggles or something. Oh. <laughs> I'll be too busy tickering around. Exactly. <laughs> um, so my most savage quote for American Animals comes from A.O. Scott. Entertainment His name is online. No, no, no. It's the New York Times. Oh. And the, the writer is called A.O. Scott. Oh, I, well, okay. That's, that's a silly name. Uh, um, and A.O. has said... There is something soulless and mechanical about American Animals, as if it had been made by a Martin Scorsese smartphone app and scored to a Spotify classic rock playlist. I no, I completely disagree now, with that. No, I took two things from that. One thing I took from that was that kind of sounds like the description I would give Baby Driver. Don't get me wrong, I like Edgar Wright and I enjoyed Hot Fuzz. But I thought I thought Baby Driver was pushing it a bit. It was trying so hard to be cool that it ended up being cringy. Right. Okay. Secondly, I really, really want a Martin Scorsese smartphone app. <laughs> what would that entail? Well, one of his would main... that be would that would that be like you open it and some like gangster from the Bronx would stick a gun up at you and be like, "Give me all your money," yeah, and it would like link to Apple Pay. And you'd have to like transfer half your savings or the app wouldn't close. <laughs> well, Martin Scorsese is known for, I think, in his films in terms of tropes, Catholic imagery, blood metaphors, and gangster films, usually. So 
work all of the work all of them around, and that, I'm sure that's a fantastic app in the making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting stuff. <laughs> but yeah, made by a Martin Scorsese smartphone app and scored to a Spotify classic rock playlist. I like Spotify Weird. classic rock playlist, so that's yeah, not, I mean, that's not me, insult I think, to me, uh, mate. I I am so into my Spotify playlists. I uh, yeah, they're preaching to the wrong crowd, mate. Yeah. Shout out Spotify. Ayo, Thank Scott, you. you've got it wrong. Um, <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, Spotify, you are our favourite uh, content platform. Anyone listening on Spotify, shout out you. Wow. Well, there we go. <laughs> right. We're now down to the final category of the Critic Quote Awards, which is our own because we don't have a third Critic Quote Award anymore. <laughs> We, I was going to say, did, where are we, we going with that? We did, I was like, making this up as I go along. The uh, funniest quote didn't really tend to be that funny. Um, neither of us really enjoyed it. It was that kind of hassle one that we couldn't really figure out before the episode. So instead, we're going to go to best moment, which I think we started a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? We did indeed. Um, best moment of the film for you, Will, without kind of really spoiling anything crucial. Um, I have two, one in brief and one actually... Um, what my first one is the opening sequence um what before the credits before the title rolls on the film i thought it was wonderfully constructed i thought it told you everything you need to know about the type of film um it was going to be and at the end of that opening credits it was it there was silence in the cinema it was it was everyone was gripped and i will never yeah, remember, forget cool. that moment it was, really, it was cool. really cool second favorite moment is Evan Peters' acting in the car after the robbery has just happened. I think it's I think it's an incredible piece of acting. Oh, what? Where he's like throwing up and everything? Yes. Yeah, really good. Really, really good. My favourite bit was where they are explaining the code names that they use during the book heist. <laughs> and they, they, they name themselves after um, characters from Reservoir Dogs. So they call themselves Mr. Red, Mr. Blue, Mr. Yellow, whatever. And they explain, like, Warren, the character, Evan Peters, explains why they're called the different things. And then Evan Peters, as Warren, says something like, and I'm Mr. Yellow. And then it cuts to real-life Warren. And he kind of says something like, I was Mr. Yellow because I'm my mother's sunshine. (laughs) Or something like that. And it was just, it it was this one moment that was just, so incredibly funny and everyone in the cinema was in stitches like it was that was what was so great about this film was it was dramatic it was intense it was sad but it just had genuinely funny moments as well and it just serves to prove that you can have a real genre blend like that mm-hmm. and still pick up really great accolades and what's great about the, the, the actual story itself is that Warren Lipka who is the a real life Warren Lipka in, um, in the film obviously is probably the funniest character in there they had some 100%. of the best lines, and that's, that's that says that's testament to how a well the story is is projected through the film, but also b to how interesting the story is anyway, the and how invested you are, already are in these guys. Completely, mm. completely. So, what would you what would you rate it out of ten? I think I am going to give it an eight point five. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I thought there were some small falls, um, like you mentioned, pacing. Um, but generally, I think it's one of the it's 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 a film that I have I've not enjoyed a film like this in a while at the cinema. I was gripped. It was a so visceral it's like, reaction. 
It is. It truly is. It's the highest we've rated a film, 9 out of 10, that you were never really here. I think it is, yes. See, if you're comparing it to that, and you've got the two titans here, really, because what's, <laughs> the, what, what's, the, what's the next best film we've reviewed? Is it, it's, it's probably her, Hereditary. Probably hereditary. Yeah. Now, so if you're comparing it to you, you were never really here. You like that was an incre- that was again an emotional an emotional roller coaster. That really shook me to my core, and it's a film that I'm still thinking about. And that was that was why it was deserving of a nine in my book. Now, this film is phenomenal, but I think I'm going to give it an eight point five like you because it, 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 it I don't think I'm going to be. Like it hasn't, it hasn't genuinely affected me. Mm. Like I'm, I'm still thinking about it. I think it's great. I'm looking forward to watching it again. But you were never really here. It hit a real nerve. It like it really affected me in a in a in a strange way. Um, and I think that for a film to be a nine, personally, it has to do that. It has to have that sort of personal factor that's really going to hit you hard for the next six months. And which yeah. films can do. And it doesn't have to be a dark, kind of sad, depressing film. I mean, Paddington 2. Yep. Is, it, had that been in our kind of weekly film review schedule, that would be a 9 out of 10 for me. Because that hit a nerve in a completely different way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think American Animals is a terrific film. I think it's a film that has flown under the radar so far for a lot of people in the UK. So I really do urge anyone who's kind of enjoyed hearing hearing us talk about it or maybe has seen the trailer and it piqued their interest, like, please, please, please go and see it Um, because it is phenomenal. And I get the suspicion it's probably not going to be in our cinemas for long. No. Um, And I would would love for it to be a breakout hit. I would love for it to be a breakout hit. Yeah, same here, same yeah. here. Um, and I think that's a, that's a wrap, mate. So next week we're doing... Black Clansman. We'll, 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 talk, we'll talk to me, talk to me. Talk what do you to want me, to do talk next to week? Me. Because we have, we have three films now that we really want to see. We want to see Black Clansman. We want to see Searching. And I don't know if you care about it as much, but I really want to see this directorial debut from Idris Elba, this new film, Yardi. Yes, I do want to see that. But, I saw the trailer for it the other week. Um, I think watching the Meg and I was just blown away. It looks wicked. But that one, out of the three, that one's not getting great reviews. Mm. So I think it would be interesting to pick up on one that's maybe not doing very well and see if we agree with that sentiment. Um, I think we will probably end up doing a double bill this coming week. Yep. Whether it's whether it's Black Clansman and Searching or Black Clansman and Yardy. And then we'll do another one the following week. I think that makes sense. Yep. So I reckon I reckon this coming week bumper edition will probably end up doing a close to two hour session, which will be really cool. That'll be really um, really good to do a proper long balls to the wall yeah, podcast. A big one, a big one. Have a proper big news section. Um, Gonna write maybe, in the description mega episode, but not the Meg. See a fortnight ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a bit confusing. I'll avoid that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so once again, massive thank you to everyone who's listening. It uh, really means the world. We've had some lovely messages. We're getting more and more people favouriting us on Anchor, which is epic. Um, me and Will are both going to do a big push to kind of 
try and get reviews out on the podcast over the next few weeks. So if you if you have been listening along and you do like what you hear, we really do want to climb the ranks on iTunes and Spotify. So, uh, you know, a review, even just a rating out of five on, on iTunes would mean the world to us. Um, and family and friends, if you're listening, we will be chasing you down and forcing yeah. you to do it at some point soon. And it's also a good, it's um, also a good friend check to see who's been listening and who's not been listening. Because well, obviously said, all oh, of them should be. They'll be like, oh yeah, that that episode on Christopher Robin was great, man. Yeah. Although, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to introduce sure. your mother to the podcast, don't do it in the episode which we talk about tiggering. Oh yeah, yeah, no, probably probably avoid this episode, man. <laughs> Sorry, um, mum. We love you, mums. Ah, uh, right. And um, with with that, the- I think we're good to tigger off into the rest of our uh, the rest of our week. I like what you did there. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and 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 here. No, we don't hear the people that listen, but uh, they will hear us again very soon. Thank you very much. F- Goodbye. Thank you very much from the Fifty Two Week Film Project, and we will see you next week. <laughs>